Welcome to the Cleansing Word Podcast with Pastor John of Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa. Join us as we go through the Bible as we encourage your walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, visit us at cclv.org. And please share and subscribe to this podcast. Now let's hear a message from God's Word. Tonight, planning on going from Joshua 3 to chapter 5, verse 12. Going to break it toward the end of chapter 5 as verse 13 kind of picks up the next account in the timeline there with Joshua. And uh, again, been working our way through the Old Testament for the last couple of years and don't want to be here forever. So at least two chapters, sometimes three, this time two and a half, um, at least two a week is uh, my plan. Next Wednesday, however, going to look at some of the prophetic events from Scripture and what's going on in our world today and kind of do a prophecy update and just haven't quite decided uh, where I'm going. Last year, we worked through First and Second Thessalonians, and so the field's all open for me. I always tie my prophecy update to Scripture, um, not just a Scripture here or a Scripture there. I like to teach a passage and then talk about some of the events going on in the world. So I'll try to work all that out before next Wednesday, but we'll have communion and a prophecy update next week. I've been in communication with a pastor from Australia who, uh, David Fiorazzo from Worldview Matters podcast, put me in contact with him because this pastor has got rear-ended while he was on his motorcycle and broke his back. And uh, he's got a long road still ahead of him, but he's planning on, by the end of the month, being back in the pulpit, although they had to do surgery twice and um, put metal braces in his spine that will eventually be removed. So uh, it's a six to eight months before they even take out the stuff they put in to stabilize him. Uh, just remember, Pastor Dean, in your prayers, and uh, I think Monday or Tuesday he responded back to me and said he's been lifting up our church in prayer. And so he's praying for us, and we can be praying for him. Pastor Dean from Australia. Uh, he's been out of the pulpit for at least two months and hoping to get back the last Sunday, I believe, in January. All right, this coming Saturday for the guys, we have men's breakfast. I know there's a snowstorm coming, so I'm not quite sure what that will look like. I have a four-wheel drive truck. I'm not that worried about it personally, but <laughs> um, we'll see how the storm comes this Friday into Saturday. Hopefully, um, we'll be able to get together for that breakfast. And uh, at this point, just plan on it from 8 to 10 Saturday morning. Let's go ahead and pray for the teaching of God's Word and get into our text tonight. So, Father, we do pray that you would bless now the teaching of your Word. Hear from the book of Joshua as Israel makes their way into the promised land. And it had been quite a while, 470 years since the children of Israel had actually been in the promised land once they had departed and the Bible tells us that they came out of Egypt 430 years. To the day that they entered into Egypt, they came out in the Exodus. And now 40 years later, they are entering in. And we're going to learn about that tonight and significant things that took place with that. So bless us, Lord, as we look at this great account in Scripture from Joshua beginning in chapter 3. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as we go through these passages, I love to give like a key verse or verses in each chapter. Verse 13, very key. It says, It shall come to pass as soon as the souls of the feet of the priest who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, and the waters that come down from upstream 
they shall stand up as a heap. And so the key part of that is not the fact that God stood the waters of the Jordan up, stopped the flow of the Jordan, however he did that. To me, the significant part of that was the faith of the priest who had to first step in and get their feet wet to see God do this miraculous thing for Israel. And that is just going to be key for us as we go through this chapter. And we pick up in Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. It says, Then Joshua arose early in the morning, and they set out from the Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel. And they lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests and the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. And there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubics by measure, somewhere between two or 3,000 feet, depending on how you measure a cubic. Most common measurement that I've already always heard as a kid growing up in church is 18 inches for one cubic, but making it somewhere between two and 3,000 feet. So they had to stay back, picking up in verse 4, Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. So they're lodging on the east side of the Jordan River for three days, Yahweh preparing to solidify at this time Joshua's leadership in Israel. He had taken over for Moses, had been inaugurated by Moses in front of all the nation of Israel, and he had proved himself uh, throughout the 40 years, being a faithful servant to Moses, being a faithful warrior and leader of the people in that way. But now he's leading them into the promised land, and God tells Joshua, I'm going to solidify your leadership, magnify you in all the sight of Israel, chapter 3, verse 7. And I mentioned this last week that a three-day period was significant in the Bible often. And the greatest of these three-day periods is found, no doubt, in Jesus being magnified by God through his death, burial, and resurrection from the grave. Mark 8.31 teaches us, as Jesus said, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, by the chief priests, by the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And so you can study from the Old to the New Testament. You often find uh, three-day numbers, and sometimes it's very significant, sometimes not so much. Abraham is a great example of this. Uh, My wife and I tried to watch a movie about Abraham and the sacrifice of Isaac last night, uh, streaming it, but it was uh, breaking up. I don't know if the weather was having something to do with that, so it was hard to watch, so we ended up watching something else. But uh, it was three days from the time God said to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22 to take your son, your only son, and go to a mountain that I will show you. And it was a three-day journey to Mount Moriah. That Abraham took. And I believe personally, Abraham, when he set up the altar and was willing to offer Isaac there, but God prevented him by offering a ram that was caught in the thicket and said, now I know that you love me. Don't harm the boy. Uh, And he gave replacement of that ram that was caught in the thicket. Personally, I believe this was the same location that one day God would offer his only begotten son. And even with the offering of Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, according to John 1.29, there was a three-day period from his death to his resurrection. So these three days, I think for the children of Israel, they were days of preparation, not just physically for the war that was ahead, but also spiritually. And we'll see a bit of that spiritual preparation in the passage tonight, Joshua one eleven said, Pass through the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourself, for within three days you will cross this Jordan, go in and possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. 
for 40 years, the Ark of the Covenant had remained at the center of the camp. And it was the center of Israel's life, and that was the intent that God had for it. That not only the Ark of the Covenant, the tabernacle that it was housed in, there was also the pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night to lead them, according to Exodus 13.21. And in Numbers chapter 2, we learn that Israel, even they camped with the tabernacle at the center of the camp, even when they broke camp and during their 40 years of wilderness wanderings, the tabernacle was still in the center. When they broke camp, Judah as the head, Issachar and Zubalan marched under the standard of the lion. They were first to leave. Next would be Reuben as the head and Simeon and Gad marching under the standard of a man's head. They were second to leave. After them, the priest and the tribe of Levites would break camp and the tabernacle and all its holy furnishings. And then following that, the Levites and the tabernacle and the priest, came Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin under the standard of the ox. And lastly, Dan, Asher, and Naphtali under the standard of the eagle as the rear guard. So even when they journeyed in the wilderness, the tabernacle was at the center. But now God was going before them. He gave the reason that you have not gone this way before. Now that was true throughout the whole wilderness. They had not, well, maybe after 40 years, I mean, the area is not so large that you probably, and we read about it in Scripture, they ended up going to a few places more than once. But here, God was going to be their head. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we should have Christ not only as our sinner, but also as our head. Ephesians 1, and 23 tells us, For he put all things under his feet and gave him, Jesus, to be the head over all the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So as Israel prepares to cross the Jordan, there's no mention of the Shekinah glory cloud, but the Ark of the Covenant goes before them being carried by the priests and the Levites and having a distance set between them somewhere between two and 3,000 feet. It showed that Israel was to revere God's holiness, but also they were allowed the Lord to lead them as they followed. Now Israel followed the priests as they followed God. And this is how we are to be as men and women of faith. Uh, Sometimes um, we need to find those examples. People in our current sphere of uh, life, people that we can mimic, follow. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. So you pick out those male and female Christian leaders that we have in our world today. Sometimes you directly uh, go that you can uh, come under their teaching and see the example that they set before us. For Lily and I, back in the 90s, we sold what we had here and we moved out to California that I could do that in the sense of coming under Pastor Chuck and the founder of the Calvary Chapel movement. Sometimes it's those people of faith that they're already with the Lord as Pastor Chuck is now, but we're still able to follow and study and learn from the maybe the writings that they had, the messages today. Um, we were watching something on the news this week, Lily and I, and they were talking about leaving a legacy and some doctors telling people who are older and they know they're going to be dying to record things for their family to pass on that leg- legacy. And I looked at Lily and I said, well, they'll have a lot of legacy for me to pass on because there's 20 plus years of recordings um, that my kids could listen to and grandkids and great grandkids if the Lord should tarry. 
But God gave the reason for this new travel order. You have not passed this way before. And Psalm 5.8 tells us, Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before my face. And I was thinking about that in the terms of the beginning of a new year. And it's true of all times that we have not passed this way before. And there's a lot already going on in our world and trials are challenging and seem to be getting more difficult as the years go by. And in one sense, I look back at the great age that I am now, although some would say, you're not that old, but my grandkids would say, you're really old. It uh, depends on the perspective that you have on that. Um, I look back and I, I trust in the Lord that you've brought us this far. And so I'm good with that, but I also want the Lord to continue to lead because truly I have not gone this way before. And so we keep the Lord as our head. In verse 5, Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. So this is the setting apart. They had three days of preparation, but now the sanctification in the Bible, it speaks about being set apart unto the Lord. And as the redeemed of the Lord, Yahweh had brought them out of the land of Egypt 40 years earlier. Now they were to set themselves apart in order that the purposes of God could be fulfilled in their lives. And this type of sanctification, Paul talked about this when he said in Romans 6, 12 through 13, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey its lust. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Beginning of the year, like we're... At right now, it's a good time to set apart, to sanctify and say, Lord, I just want to dedicate myself, rededicate myself to you at the beginning of this year that I might live for your glory and have you guide me in this life. So three, chapter 3, verses 6 through 13, I titled this section, The Living God, because Joshua makes note of that. Then Joshua spoke to the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and, the, and cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant, and they went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, verse 7, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priest who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, when you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you will know that the living God is among you, that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Hittites, the Hivites. I got my Vites mixed up there a little bit. The Parasites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites. I get to read them again a few times. I love these. Seven nations. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And there you may notice, depending on the Bible that you have, that this Lord is different than all the other lords that we've read about so far. And so we'll talk about that in a moment. But this is... The Ark of the Covenant of Adonai, not saying Yahweh here. So he's using a different term for Lord, and that's verse 11. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of Adonai of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take for yourself twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe. And it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the Ark of Yahweh, the Adonai of all the earth, shall rest in the water of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream, that they shall stand as a heap. So God used the crossing of the Jordan 
to magnify Joshua in the sight of the people. As I was reading this passage, I was thinking that Joshua had led the men into battle before. It was not unusual for Joshua to be a leader, but Moses was always there in the background. Either Moses was on a high mountain when he first fought the Amalekites, Joshua in the valley with the men against the Amalekites, Moses, Aaron, and Hur on the mountain with the rod of God in Moses' hand, lifting up prayer, lifting up the rod of God. When Joshua was victorious, when the rod of God was held high, and he began to faint, he and his men, when the rod of God was lowered. Moses had already always been there, but now Joshua was without Moses, and God used this event to magnify Joshua before the people. But Joshua, notice in verses 9, 10, and 11, used this event to magnify God before the people. In verse 9, come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. Verse 10, by this you shall know that the living God is among you. Verse 11, behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you. And though not a part of the priesthood, Joshua heard from Yahweh, gave both the priest and the people instruction at this time. It reminded me of Paul who said, and he was talking about communion when he said this, but still it should be the heart of every minister of the Word of God. First uh, Corinthians 11.23, For what I have received from the Lord, that I also give unto you. And it's so necessary for pastors, for teachers, to first receive from the Lord that we might have something to give uh, to those who come to hear the Word of God being Proclaimed. And like Joshua, any glory that Jesus may bestow upon us, we should always return it to him. So he mentions Yahweh, Elohim, and Adonai. And so I'm just going to quickly rehearse these three different names used for God in the Old Testament. There's others, but these are the three most common. So Yahweh is a Hebrew Tetragramnation, that simply means four letters. It's the Hebrew tetragramnation of God, Y-H-W-H. It's written without vowel sounds because they were not, uh, by their tradition, uh, they did not want to say the name of God. So Jewish people to this day, especially Orthodox Jews, they will not completely write the name of God. And so no vowel sounds, only the consonants. And that leaves us guessing uh, to this name. But a name that was given to us in Exodus 3, verses 13 through 14, when Moses asked the Lord before he went back to Egypt, if they asked me, what is the name? What name should I give them? And God responded saying, I am who I am. I am. I will be who I will be. And so, this we are customarily saying Jehovah or Yahweh, but the YHWH. So verse 9, come here and hear the words of Yahweh, your Elohim. So Elohim is the common name for God in the Bible. And Elohim is actually a plural. Uh, it's known as a plural intensive it's when used in majesty setting like this, you speak it in the singular, although it's a plural form of the word. And in the Old Testament, it could be of the true and living God, as we're using it here. And it's being used in the context here in Joshua or of some of the pagan gods, Elohim. El would be the sing singular, Elohim, the plural of that. And I, I love it because the Elohim, the plural of the word, God, leaves room for the Trinity. That of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That although there are many gods in this world that are worshipped, there is only one living and eternal God. And Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 1.9, 
For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turn from turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And so the church or those in Thessalonica who became part of the church, as Paul testified to them there, they turned from idols to serve the living and true God, though there are many gods in this world. Only one living and eternal God. And finally, Adonai, it is Lord. And you find it in the King James and New King James, and maybe some of the other translations. In the Old Testament, when it is, they're translating Lord from Adonai, they spell it with a capital L and then three lowercase O-R-D. And so you don't have to know Hebrew to know that if it's Yahweh, it's Lord, all caps. If it's Adonai, it's Lord um, without all caps. And so it is used as a proper name of God. And it's one of the most common names for God in the Old Testament. It means ruler, master, Lord. It can even mean Messiah. And in here he connects it with the power and the authority. He is Adonai over the whole earth. Isaiah 54, 5 says, For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. Your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is the God of the whole earth. And so it was, verses 14 through 17 takes us through this chapter. When the people set out from the camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water for the Jordan overflows all of its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still, rose in a heap very far away at Adam the city that is beside Zeratan. And so the waters that went down from the Sea of Arabah and the Salt Sea failed, and they were cut off. And the people crossed over opposite Jericho. And the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on the dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. Remember, it's uh, theorized because of the counting of the men of war. There were over 600,000 men prepared to go to battle. And so because of the number of the men of war, it has been understood that we're talking about between two or three million people making this crossing. If you have just the men of war, that's 600,000 plus. And so this is a big deal. What it made it more difficult was flood stage. I lived by a creek growing up when I was a kid. And every spring we had to deal with flooding. And often the creek that was usually hundreds of yards away from our home, sometimes it made it about 15 feet away from our house. And uh, the creek, instead of running through the creek bed, would run down our street and find a shortcut through our yard. And uh, it was fun as a kid, but sometimes it was also dangerous at flood stage. Not only does the water run fast, debris, rocks, trees, there's a lot of things that can happen during flood stage. And here it's at the time of the year when the um, mountains of Mount Hermon, which is north of Israel, was uh, springtime, and this is one of the tributary heads of the Jordan River, the Jordan River running uh, the north side of the Jordan River, running on the upper Jordan, which is on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, and then the lower Jordan on the south side of the Sea of Galilee, and it runs down into the Dead Sea. And so this was flood stage, and so it was a very dangerous time of the year. But the priest had to get their feet wet, and they had to step in before the waters would stop flowing. And I think this is often the case 
when the Lord gives us a word, uh, a desire that he gives us, maybe a calling that he gives us, that the Lord might give us a desire, a vision, a call, but sometimes he will not act in our behalf until we take steps toward that call. We begin to take steps of faith like the priest. We have to get our feet wet, remembering in First Corinthians 5, 7, that we walk by faith and not by sight. Brings us to chapter 4. And I titled this chapter, Teaching the Next Generation. And I used the last two verses as a key verse, two verses though. Verses 23 and 24, that the Lord, your God, dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over as the Lord, your God, did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we had crossed over, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you may fear the Lord, your God, forever. So as the children of Israel hurried across, I think I would hurry across, uh, the river stopped, but you're wondering, how long is this going to last? I, maybe they had total faith, but I think there might have been a sense of urgency as they went across the river. Here we find these lessons being given. One is a lesson of faith. The priest, we already looked at that, they had to come to the edge of the water. They had to step in before the water stopped. And here we're going to find that they would set up two memorials, and they would use these as teaching points. And so two stone memorials, verses 1 through 9, it came to pass when the people, all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan, that the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, Take for yourself twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them saying, Take for yourself twelve stones up from here. And out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priests Feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. And Joshua called 12 men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. And each one of you shall take up a stone on his shoulder. According to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you that when your children asked in the time to come, saying, what do these stones mean? Then you shall answer to them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it crosses, when it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so just as Joshua commanded, took up 12 stones from the midst of the Jordan. As the Lord spoke by Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, carried them over with all the place where they lodged, with them to the place where they lodged, laid them down there. Then Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priest who bore the ark and the covenant stood. And they are there to this day. So 12 men chosen one from each tribe, speaks about the unity of Israel at this time. And that's important because we know that only nine and a half tribes are going to occupy the promised land on the west side of the Jordan River. But all 12 tribes are represented, including uh, the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, who took their dwelling on the east side of the Jordan River. So it speaks about unity, and also this memorial. One of the commentators, and I can't make Scripture say this, but he felt that these 12 men had built a, a flat place for the priests to stand while they stood in the midst of the Jordan. But Scripture doesn't say that. It does tell us that these 12 men, they were to stay 2,000 to 3,000 feet back but they had permission to go to the place where the priests and the Levites were standing and to remove from that place 12 stones. I know I was a stonemason, a brick mason, and I know that if it was me um, and if I would have been Joshua, I'd pick some big men to grab 
big stones. I don't know how big the stones are in the Jordan River, but uh, I do know on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, there are large boulders that came from some volcanic eruption. They're strewed to this day all over the land, black basalt stones up there that you can't plant anything until you clear the stones off the land. And so maybe some of these were down there as well and made it through uh, this area. Don't know. The river itself is not normally a very large river, but it was here at flood stage. So I, I don't know that they built this flat surface or not, but they were to pick up large stones, stones that would become a memorial for the people that they would set up in the first place they camped as they came into the promised land. So if it was me and I was one picking up those stones, I would try to find the best one. In fact, I was asked by one of the area pastors to build a memorial. If you want to go see it, you can go over to Channel Lakes and pull in their driveway, and you'll find 25 stones that I piled up. And the pastor had picked the stones, and uh, the brick mason saw the stones that he picked, and I thought, nope, not going to do. And so I knew that we had some rather large stones here on the church grounds, and so I exchanged stones. Um, I don't even know if I, I might have left him his stones, but I came and got some of the larger stones to build the foundation and uh, to put that together for him. But the whole intent came out of this passage, 25 years of ministry, that when the children see it and they ask, what are these stones here for? Well, they're here as a memorial. Here, it's 12 stones. But in both situations, whether uh, the one memorial that I was able to put together for another church here in the area or here in Israel, it was meant to be a teaching tool, a reminder of what the Lord God did at this time when Israel crossed over the Jordan. Psalm 78, 3 and 4 says, Which we have heard and known, our fathers have told us, we will not hide from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He has done. 10 through 18, so the priest who bore the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people. According to all that Moses had commanded Joshua and the people hurried, here they go, they were hurrying. I know I read that somewhere. The people hurried across. Then when it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over, that the Ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over to the presence of the people. And the men of Reuben and the men of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over armed before the children of Israel as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. And they feared him. And they as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Command the priest who bear the Ark of the Testament to come up from the Jordan. And Joshua therefore commanded the priest, saying, Come up from the Jordan. And it came to pass, when the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant had come up from the midst of the Jordan, the soles of the feet touched the dry land, that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. So once the people hurried across and the priests crossed over themselves after the 40,000 men of war who came from the two and a half tribes from the east side of the Jordan, Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh, they themselves proving themselves faithful to the word that they gave to the Lord and to Moses, as we read about in Numbers 32 and Joshua chapter 1. The priests themselves came up from the Jordan. When they 
stood on the riverbank. It says dry land, but the Jordan was dry too. So really to understand that they came to the shoreline, they stepped on, and the waters released once again. Now historically, they have recorded some events in the Jordan. In 1267 and 1906, landslide, landslides caused the Jordan to dam up. And once in 1927, on July 11th, for 21 hours, an earthquake dammed the Jordan up, stopped the flow of the Jordan. We think, oh, that's totally impossible. I, I heard just recently, uh, this week, somebody mentioning the Madrid fault line, and they referred to it as the earthquake that took place down in Missouri as the worst earthquake that the United States had ever seen. The advantage at that time was that hardly anybody lived there, so it wasn't extremely damaging, but it caused the mighty Mississippi to flow backwards for several hours. So not unusual. The thing is, and people will say, well, this is just a natural phenomenon. We see it happen in 1267 or 1906 or 1927. There's nothing special about this. Well, then time it perfectly with the priest stepping in and the priest stepping out. And tell me it's not. I don't know how God did it, but the timing was perfect. And so now the people, verses 19 through 24, it finishes up this chapter. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they camped in Gagal on the east side of the Jordan, or Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took up out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. And then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children asked their fathers, in the time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea. And he dried up before us until we had crossed over, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord that it is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So it was a sign to the children of Israel, but it was also a sign to all the people of the earth. We learned last week as the two spies came into Jericho that Rahab in Joshua chapter 2 said, we have heard what the Lord your God did in Egypt. That was 40 years earlier, how he dried up the sea. And now they were, some of them would even be eyewitnesses to the mighty hand of God. Not just hearing the things, but seeing it, but that all the earth would know. So it was a testimony to all the world. So you may have noticed they crossed over on the 10th day of the first month. And this is Abib or Nisan. And it was the day that they were to set aside the Passover lambs. Exodus 12, verses 2 and 3. This is a month, shall be the your beginning of months, the first day of the month of the year to you. Speak to the congregation of Israel. On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. So they crossed over on this day of preparation for the coming Passover. And Joshua then, they set up this memorial, and he spoke about it, saying, just as the Lord had done for us, Joshua was there. He crossed over the Red Sea, he and Caleb, but also everyone who was 20 years old and under, who came out of Egypt, as children, now they're, you know, 60 years old and um, maybe 40 to 60 years old. All those in that age group, they had all crossed over the dry Red Sea. And they had seen the Egyptians drown 
in that same location when they attempted to come through. So Joshua said, just as the Lord has done for us, and there were many who could witness that, he now has done for you. And the purpose, he dried up the Red Sea, he dried up the Jordan. The purpose, verse 24, that the peoples of the earth, all nations, would know that the Lord, that he is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. And so the memorial stones... They were used to teach. There was the 12 stones set up in Gilgal, 12 stones that were in the middle of the Jordan where the priest stood. And I don't know if these stones were at certain times of the year covered with water. And when the Jordan would go dry, maybe in late summer, you would be able to see the stones. You'd see the ripple around the stones. But whether at the memorial, and this really made me think about how our nation is wanting to tear down all these memorials that we have in our nation. And uh, if you forget your history, you'll end up making the same mistakes of history that you're trying to move on from. We need to remember our history. And this was Godward in this situation. And they were used for teaching points for their children to teach them of the power of God, the mighty hand of God. Psalm 71, 18 says, Now also, when I am old and gray-headed, O God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. And so I don't think we... I don't know, the Bible never speaks about retirement. We have been talking about that in our household, not me personally, but um, my wife working in the medical field and having 401ks and kind of talking about the timing of she's ready to be done right now, but she's waiting um, for her baby husband to uh, get to that Medicare age. She'll beat me there by a few months, but um, we're talking about that. But I'm not talking about that. She's talking about retiring, wanting to focus more on our home and ministry and being able to do that. And me, I'm just thinking, Lord, keep me going. When I'm old and gray-headed, not gray-headed yet, but it is changing, um, that I will be able to declare. That should be our desire, to teach the next generation. So 12 more verses, and we'll complete our study for tonight, chapter 5. Verse 1, kind of a long verse. So it was when all the kings of the Amorites on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, and so that means over by the Mediterranean Sea, so the other side of Israel as we know it today, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over, that their hearts melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. And so this spread like wildfire throughout what would become the nation of Israel. From the Amorites to the Canaanites, their hearts melted and they had no strength, no spirit, no strength to fight. They would fight, but uh, the terror of the Lord was upon them. They'd also heard what God did in Egypt 40 years earlier, as we just talked about, as Rahab rehearsed to them. We heard what you did, what your God did in Egypt, how you crossed over the Red Sea, how you defeated the kings. And these were giant kings, Og and Sion, on the east side of the Jordan. And now seeing the Jordan dried up at flood stage, Hearing about this from one side of Israel to the other, their hearts melted and there was no spirit in them. We get a, a sense of this. This is actually a prophecy given against Babylon, but it kind of gives us a sense of the terror that perhaps fell upon the people. Isaiah 13, 6 through 8, I think it really describes it well, but this was the burden against Babylon. Isaiah 13, 6 through 8, Well, for the day, wail, 
not well, wail, cry, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will be limp. Every man's heart will melt. They will be afraid. Pangs and sorrows will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. They will be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. So God brought them over. They set up the memorial stones. They, we don't read about it, but it was the 10th of Nisan. We'll read about them having Passover in a moment, but no doubt they had set apart the Passover lambs. And then verses 2 through 9, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives for yourselves and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself, circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people who were born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord had sworn that he would not show them the land which the Lord your God has sworn to their fathers that he would give us the land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons, whom he had raised up in their place, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in the place in their camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. So 40 years, the generation that came up out of Egypt not only refused to enter the promised land, but they did not circumcise their sons on the eighth day as the Lord had commanded them. And so the hill of foreskins um, it became known as an important place where the men were circumcised. And, and think about this. I'd already mentioned this, that everyone who is 20 years old and under, they lived during those 40 years in the wilderness. So at this point, the men of war from 40 to 60 years old, they were circumcised. But all the men of war from 40 and under had not been circumcised. So we had 12 men, from one from each of the tribe, carry these 12 stones to signify unity, but they were not spiritually unified because the covenant of God had been broken by this generation. It wasn't necessarily the children's fault. It was something that their parents had not done for them. But it is interesting that the Lord waited until they crossed over the Jordan in enemy's territory to do this. Because I can tell you that no man will be a great warrior immediately following the days that he had been circumcised. It just would not work well. And so this is what the Lord had them to do. And I, I did not know that the scholars debate about this whole thing. I mean, you can read so much about it. Some say that, well, they were circumcised in Egypt, but they had to be, in verse 2, circumcised the second time because they hadn't been circumcised the Jewish way, but the Egyptian way. The Bible doesn't say any of that. Uh, others say that, for 400 years, they hadn't been circumcised because the Egyptians wouldn't allow it. And only the upper elite in Egypt were circumcised. So as slaves, they wouldn't be allowed to be circumcised. Again, the Bible doesn't say any of that. In fact, I believe that they knew Moses was a Hebrew child because he had been circumcised. And so there's a bit of debate about 
what this has meant, but I, I believe that it's bringing them back into that covenant relationship that God gave to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, verses 10 through 14. And it seems that for me, for 400 years, they had continued in that covenant relationship with God, circumcising their sons on the eighth day, but had broke it in the wilderness. Perhaps the attitude of, if I'm not going in, I don't care. But that should never be the attitude of a parent. We should do our best to prepare our children for the course of life ahead, especially regarding the things of God. But this would bring the people into a covenant relationship with the Lord once again, renewing that covenant. And also, I believe, renewing the unity of the people, that there wasn't some who were uncircumcised, some who had not been circumcised, uh, those who had had been circumcised, that there would be unity among the men of war, among all the nation itself. So God became their defense. I mean, it, it seems odd to us that God would require this. It would militarily be seemingly a foolish thing, but God wanted them to know that it's the Lord God who fights for you. And it was not their strength that would make them victorious. They would take part in it, of course, but God would be their defense and refuge in the day of trouble. Psalm 59:16 says, But I will sing of your powers. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning, for you have been my defense, my refuge in the day of trouble. So we have mentioned again the land flowing with milk and honey. And so a picture of a very rich land depicting the grazing of the animals and get their milk from the um, flowering plants producing much fruit in that area and Israel to this day is a very fruitful place it hadn't always been but it has been since Israel came back into the land in our present history Gilgal to this day it it, it, it is Similar to the Hebrew verb that means roll away. And so the title of this area, Gilgal, and we'll read of Gilgal a lot. The tabernacle would be set there. Um, many events would take place. Kings would come to Gilgal. Prophets would come to Gilgal. It's an important place in Israel. It's the first place where Israel camped in the promised land. But the name itself, very similar to the Hebrew verb, Roll away, Gilgal, where God rolled away the reproach of Israel. Verses 10 through 12, and we'll close out our teaching for tonight. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal, kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And they ate the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. And the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land, and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. So on uh, the 10th, they would set aside the Passover lambs, and on the 14th, they would kill the Passover. Exodus 12:3 through 6 tells us of this. And then... At that same time, they began to eat the fruit of the land. Uh, they were eating unleavened bread because it was a feast of unleavened bread. For seven days, they would eat unleavened bread. But significant here is the manna ceased, and no longer would they have the bread of angels. But God provided them food there in the promised land from that day forward. Although the manna may have ceased for Israel, God has given us a new manna through his son. Jesus said in John 6, 48 through 51, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread that comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he may live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, he has rolled away the reproach of our sins through his death, burial, and victorious resurrection from the grave 
Jesus Christ, now the bread of life, that we are able to partake in and find life, both now and on into eternity. And Father, we thank you for your word that you have given us this night. And though, Lord, we're looking at the history of Israel, uh, there are so many things that we can learn from these chapters. Learning about taking steps of faith. Learning about setting up memorials in our world. Things that we can use as teaching points uh, to our generation and to our children's generation. Learning of unity of the people. Learning of coming to that place of recommitment as Israel uh, was circumcised there in the Valley of Jordan. Learning, Lord, that you are our refuge and our strength and our salvation. May we continue to know these things, these truths, Lord, that were applicable to Israel are also applicable to the Lord's church this day through the work of Jesus and what he does in and through our lives. To God be the glory forever and ever, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.